Support for Market Flurry comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Home plays a big role in your life. That's why Quicken Loans created Rocket Mortgage. It lets you apply simply and understand the entire mortgage process fully so you can be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com. It's Wednesday, November 8th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Hidden Gems, Abby Mallon, and from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Happy Wednesday. Hey, hey. Everybody excited for Foolapalooza? Yep. Of course. Foolapalooza is the Motley Fool's annual meeting. And as I mentioned the other day, we will not be doing a Thursday episode of Market Foolery. It's a short week for us. But good news we have other podcasts here at the Motley Fool that you can check out. Whole family of them. Two young public companies with two very different quarterly results, and we're going to get to those in a second. We're also going to dip into the full mailbag. Let's start with Match Group. Match Group is the parent company of essentially dating apps, Match.com, Tinder, OkCupid, etc. Third quarter revenue came in higher than expected, and I mean, if you're a shareholder, Abby, you're having a good day. Stock up 12% and hitting a new high. It is a good day if you're a shareholder. I think this was a great quarter for them specifically when you look at how those revenues break down. So um, they sort of have two different groups. They have direct revenue, which is revenue generated from their users, and that was up 21%. And then they have indirect revenue, which is revenue from advertisements, and that was actually down 3%. But um, that direct revenue growth is really positive and speaks highly of their platform and the network that they're creating there. Yeah. Did I read correctly? They've got more than two and a half million paying members on Tinder. They do have more than two and a half million. I was looking that <laughs> wow. up this morning. I mean, it's a little hard to tell just because like age groups and demographics and things like that. But if you assume it's and it's international, but if you just look at the population of the U.S. and um, people eighteen to forty nine, I think it's almost two percent of the population. Which again, it's not exactly quitely equivalent, but um, something to think about. Anything stand out in this quarter for you, Jason? I just think this is the strategy that um, I think this is the strategy they have to pursue if they want to be successful. And I think we learned a lot of lessons from Facebook early on in the value and becoming essentially that umbrella where you have all sorts of different apps that just you know live under that umbrella. It seems to me like at least Match Group is pursuing that same strategy. And I mean, in this day and age, wow! I mean, that does seem to be probably the easiest way to quickly meet people and kind of filter out as opposed to having to deal with a friend setting you up with someone you really don't want to go out with and then you have to politely tell them that you don't want to go out the next time <laughs> because very awkward so I, you know I, I feel like given given the proliferation of mobile technology I'd like I got to believe that just this is a tremendous market opportunity for this company especially if they're able to charge subscription revenue I mean it's one thing to be able to bring in money from ads but if you're able to get people to pay yeah. um, for that service I mean that's tremendous and that can be very long lasting Yeah I mean I think that from a strategy perspective this quarter really marked um, sort of a proven point for them you know they have so at least with Tinder, there's a couple of revenue tiers. So the first is a la carte, so you can pay for extra features like um, super likes or boosts or whatever. And then they have a Tinder Plus, which has a bunch of other different um, little added bonuses. And then they have Tinder Gold, which is the newest one, which is everything in Tinder Plus, but it also has this see who likes you feature, so you get to see who's already swiped on you. And that one's going for about $14.99 a month. So. I mean, not that you don't have to get a high penetration there to get pretty meaningful revenues. What I'm 
am just realizing now about this conversation is that this is one of those businesses that if you're someone like me, who's been married for a long time and doesn't use any of these apps, that part of what you just said, Abby, might as well have been in a different language. When you're talking about like super boosts and that sort of thing, the more important thing I, I think for all investors is the 50, is the the fifteen dollars a month. Yeah. Because if you if you are someone who's just thinking in terms of, okay, well, how much money do you spend on a date? Like if, that's basically fifteen bucks is around of drinks. So yeah. so fifteen dollars a month. I, I'm not saying that that Match Group is necessarily going to put the pedal to the metal and, and really test the outer limits of their pricing power. But that really doesn't seem like a high price point if you're looking to just go out and have a good time and meet people. And I think the flip side of that is that they really understand their market demographic. So, they actually commented, management said, the biggest driver of revenue are actually the features that we don't charge for. Because people come for this base experience and then they pay on for the extras that they want. Um, to increase that experience. And I think understanding that sort of model and who their revenue base is really helps them. That's like the video game strategy, right? I mean, you buy the Call of Duty game or whatever, but then you're making all of these in-app purchases yeah. to, to be able to enhance the experience, to get exactly. more out of it. So, wow, I mean, yeah, it's hats off to them, because it seems like they really, uh, really, really caught on to something here. Uh, last thing before we move on, Abby, any uh, specific guidance from management in terms of I mean, this is an $8 billion company. How much bigger can Match Group get? Um, I mean, they did say that they expect that 2018 um, user growth will be a little bit slowed, but not significantly. I think they still see a large runway there. They have a couple product innovations in the pipeline, which I think are interesting. Um, I think the big thing to watch is that their current CEO, Greg Blatt is actually stepping down. So Mary Ginsburg, who's been running their North American segment, is going to step up in fiscal year 18. So I think that's something to watch and see how she either continues those strategies or sort of alters them to match her way. Snap, on the other hand, Snap's third quarter <laughs> was terrible, um, uh, and the stock Ouch. the stock bounced back a little bit uh, on the news that Tencent, which is the tech behemoth in China, bought a. 10% stake in the company, and clearly they, they got it at a discount relative to, I don't know, any single point earlier this year. Um, but this is, we talked about this uh, the other day with Blue Apron. This is, this is one of those companies, Jason, that just has had such a rough go of it as a public company. And I get that they made some nice money on the IPO, but you really got to question how prepared they were for the rigors of the public markets. Well, I mean, I think we're beyond questioning, right? I think it's clear that they weren't. <laughs> it's been and answered. Exactly. I mean, it's been answered without a doubt. And I mean, I, I feel like, I mean, I, I mean, on the one hand, I mean, to me, this was like one of the easiest calls out there when they went public. And I feel like part of the reason was because we had so many lessons um, to learn from with, I think, primarily Facebook and Twitter. When you sort of see how those two IPOs play out and the differences in how the companies executed in those first couple of years as a public company, um, we saw one that did it pretty pretty well in Facebook, and we saw one that has, has witnessed a lot of challenges in Twitter. Now, it looks like Twitter may be turning things around. Who knows? I mean, maybe they have leadership in place where they can kind of get that uh, get that business going back in the right direction. But for me, with Snap, I mean, this was just 
an easy call. And I mean, part of it is because of the nature of the platform. And I, I mean, I say this as I, I don't use Snapchat, and I and I know that Abby does. And so I mean, I, I'm going to ask her a question here uh, in, in a minute to, to something that was on the call here. But uh, generally speaking, the company is is not growing users at a rate that they initially thought they would. And because they're not growing that user base, and because of the ephemeral nature of the platform, advertising dollars are far tougher to come by than they thought they would. Um, what was really interesting to me in the call, and I tweeted this last night, is that basically Snap's weather, that's Android. So, they, they mentioned Android in the call over and over and over again as this big sort of drag on the company that their app is not built for Android because of so many different Android devices out there. You're saying it's their version of blaming the weather. It's their version of blaming the weather. It just struck me as like, wow, they really are falling back on this Android, 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 which leads me to sort of question if they if they are able to sort of right the ship on their Android operating sort of interface there, is that going to make that big of a difference? I don't know. I mean, I think they've at least acknowledged the fact that it seems like a difficult platform to use. And I have fiddled around with Snapchat for about five minutes, and I just discovered clearly it wasn't for me. As a Snapchat user, I mean, would do you think that's a fair statement that it's a difficult platform to use, or can you see that perspective from from sort of the new user? Um, I mean, I guess there's a lot of features, and it sort of takes a little bit of time to get accustomed to. But I don't think the actual premise of it is challenging. And I think you know you've seen Facebook sort of mirror some of their strategies with those Facebook stories or Instagram stories. Um, and I think you know the the thing is that they did develop a product that people do want to use. It's just a matter of how well can they continue to transform and update it. Yeah, and I mean it's it's a boils down to sort of what's the purpose of the platform to begin with. And it was something Spiegel noted in the call. He said more and more they're focusing on content as being an important part of their business model. And I mean to me, like if you're a public company, if this if you're bringing in money via advertising dollars. Content is 100% your business. I mean, that's why you exist, at least as, as a as a public company. At this point, you're making your money by selling advertisements based on the content that's out there. So, you know, they're in this sort of really sort of weird twilight zone sort of area where they they are a camera company, a content company. What are they? What matters most? I think they found that um, the advertising uh, platform that they have is not one that is conducive to pricing power. Um, there was a lot of programmatic advertising that was done. They found that wasn't really helpful for their partners. So they've moved over to sort of this auction based and self serve model, which is good in that their advertising clients can test and learn without having to commit such big budgets. The flip side of that is they're not going to make as much money, at least in the near term, on advertising. And in order for them to be able to grow that advertising revenue, they're going to have to prove out the ROI via engagement. Um, and then just adding insult to injury was the $40 million write down of Shocker Spectacles. I mean, I don't know that many of us really thought they were going to sell that many. And clearly, they, they did not uh, do a good job in sort of forecasting the demand for those because there are a lot of spectacles that, that did not sell. Um, so, a, a lot of headwinds for these guys. It's not to say they can't be a good investment at some point. But ever since they went public, the price never made sense. It's not a company that has any clear pathway to profits anytime soon. And I'll tell you what, I mean, a lot of people like to rag on Twitter for their stock based compensation. These guys are going to make them look like angels because their stock based compensation is far and away going to drag on their on their income statement for many years to come. I want to come back to Evan Spiegel in a second, but a technical question, Abby. One of the advantages I think Instagram has going for it 
is that people have multiple Instagram accounts. I mean, they'll have an inst- there's the Instagram account, and then there's the Finstagram account. Uh, Snapchat, is there a reason to have more than one Snap account? In the same way, I mean. Do, by the way, do you know what a Finstagram? I do. It's yeah. Okay. I, I think the, we the, talked about that one time the before. The fake Instagram. They're, yeah, they're basically sort of putting out this fake life. And they sort of manage this existence that isn't reality. Oh, see, I look at it. I, I look at it the other way, which is the the the, the Instagram account is the. Uh, uh, this is the thing that um, I'm going to make sure that my parents know about, and then the Finstagram is like for my real friends. Right. Oh, well, yeah. I guess I. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's essentially the way. Um, for but my real but but would there be? It, is that a common thing with Snapchat? Or like, do people have more than one Snap account? Um, I mean, not that I know of, but I could be a little over that age demographic where you would do that. But I do think the thing about Snapchat is that it's more personalized than Instagram. So it's not like you're necessarily discovering people per se. It's more of like your group of friends and who you want to share with and see what's going on with them. So I don't know necessarily that it's comparable in that way. Evan Spiegel, the CEO at Snap, you tell me, Jason, how much goodwill. Does this guy have in the bank right now? Because on top of everything we've already said about Snap, they caught flack, and rightfully so, in my opinion, for right out of the gate before they went public saying nobody gets any voting chairs. And yeah. and there were plenty of people on Wall Street who sort of took issue with that. And and that's Spiegel's prerogative. He can absolutely do that, but to do it right out of the gate. Among other things, it sort of strikes me as a stance of like, and we've talked before about, say, for example, Kevin Plank at Under Armour. If you're going to be confident to the point of being arrogant, then you better deliver. And if you don't deliver, the hard is going, to, you know, the fall is going to be really hard. And in the case of Evan Spiegel, I see a young guy who is not going to get cut any slack by anyone on Wall Street. Yeah, but I don't think he should be. I mean, I think, and I don't know Evan Spiegel from Adam. I mean, I just, you know, but he, I've listened to three calls now with him, and, and he, yeah, the guy sounds arrogant. I mean, there's just no way around it. Now, I mean, he's 26 or 27 years old. I get it. I remember what it was like at that age. I mean, you do feel like you know a lot more than you really do. And I think even today, Chris, you and I probably think we know more than we actually do. Um, but with that said, I think, and then that layer he, on top of that, yeah. you're you're worth however many hundreds of millions. Yeah, I mean, he's got he's got more money than a lot of people put together. And so, you know, I think the one so the one ray of light from this call, and I was actually impressed to see that he did this, was to acknowledge the fact that they need to make some changes to the platform to make it more uh, for the masses to be able to grow that audience. Because I think Abby struck on a very important point there, and that it's it's very personal by nature. And one of the main reasons why I don't use it is because I have no reason to use it. I don't know anybody my age group who uses it, and so I don't use it. Um, they now have 70% of 13 to 34-year-olds in the U.S., France, U.K., and Australian markets. So, what that means is they have a big installed user base already for that demographic that the platform is built on. They are not able to really hit those emerging markets because the technology is such that they don't have those... those uh, smartphones necessarily that, that can keep up with their t- technology yet in, in emerging markets. But regardless, it's going to be hard for them to grow that that user base in a meaningful way. So, they're going to have to come back to figuring out more things they can offer to the user base that they have. And they can certainly do that, um, but, but it's 
definitely going to take some time to do it. And, and again, I mean, this all boils back down to price. It's not to say it can't be a good investment, but the valuation never made sense. It still doesn't make sense. And I, I have to believe it's a matter of time before this thing actually sinks down into double digits. And then probably people start taking a look under the hood to, to see if there's really a business to be had here. Would you buy it at this price? Snap? Yes. No. <laughs> Couple of tips for our <laughs> listeners: uh, If you're looking to get a mortgage, uh, boost your credit score before you're applying. Because the better your credit score, the less your loan is going to cost you. And here's another tip: Check out Rocket Mortgage. Getting a mortgage, if you're doing that, if you're refinancing your existing home loan, uh, look, it's not a walk in the park. And when you're making a big financial decision, you want to be as confident as you are in your job in your life in general, and Rocket Mortgage gives you that same level of confidence when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. It's simple. It allows you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. And to get started, go to rocketmortgage.com fool. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com, and our Twitter account is at marketfoolery. Great question from Dan Schmitty, who asked, do you have any tips on how to listen to or read quarterly conference calls? I just read the transcript for TripAdvisor's third quarter call and had no idea how to sift through all the BS, uh, which is a great question. Um, and, and Jason, I know you went through TripAdvisor's call, so we'll get to that in a minute. But Abby, let me start with you. When you're going through a conference call, what are you? Are you always looking for some of the same things, regardless of what company it is, or is it always company specific? I think there are some more general things that I think about. The first is sort of um, market expectations versus actual delivery, and um, sort of like the scale of that that plays on. So there are certain companies that are always priced for perfection, and um, the one that's coming to my mind right now is Rollins. They're a pest control company. They've had forty three straight consecutive quarters of profitable growth. So, if they were to have an off quarter, you're going to see a pretty relevant market reaction to that that may not may or may not be correlated to their actual performance. So, that's something I like to keep in mind. And then sort of along that line, I like to think about trends. So, um, also like not just scale of how how up or how down, but how those have trended over Longer period of time, and then strategic initiatives. So, um, a lot of times in those conference calls, management will give things that they're looking at or trying to improve, or things ways that they're thinking about the company going forward. And I like to see consistency in those, or and or take note of changes. Uh, Jason, the only time when I think about it, the only time that I actually listen to a conference call rather than going through the transcript is when. I care greatly about the tone from management. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm just going straight to the transcript. But if I, there are times when tone really matters, <laughs> particularly if a company has put up a challenging quarter, and uh, and then I want to hear the tone of voice from the management. Yeah, I agree. I think I I, I definitely read more calls than I listen to, just because it's more convenient for me in a, in a lot of cases. But <laughs> to TripAdvisor. 
um, given the challenges the business has had, I actually did listen to that call on my way into work. It was like 8.30 when the call started. And it took like two questions for me to recognize the tone and manage it. So, I mean, I turned the call off and just put it back on the Howard Stern Show because <laughs> this call was so, so dreary. And like, I mean, there was nothing good about that quarter. Uh, so, so, was it what, how would you, what adjective would you use for the tone? Was it one of think... resignation? Was it one of defiance? Or was it just sort of, wow, we, we might, we might be completely screwed here. Honestly, I think it was it was tone deaf, I think actually. Oh, okay. And and it just you hear management say we're very pleased with this or that and I'm thinking, man, you know what? I'm not very pleased. Your stock's in the toilet. <laughs> Here's my and question. And I consider you fully responsible. <laughs> Here's my question. Why? Why exactly? Why are you so damn pleased? Yeah, and and, and I think it's a very fair question. I don't know if they'd necessarily be able to come up with a good answer, but um what I what I do typically when I'm reading calls and I mean I think just the search function on, on the computer is the best thing ever because a lot of times what I'll do is I'll go through the call and just search terminology or words uh, that pertain to the thesis that um, got us to invest in the business in the first place. Now, I will say that we sold TripAdvisor out of a million-dollar portfolio back in June because we saw some challenges the business was facing, and we just didn't feel comfortable owning it. We determined we weren't going to add to it, so we thought we better just go ahead and and get rid of it before uh, things get out of control. And uh, Consequently, I think that worked out pretty well in our favor, Chris. It might turn out to be the best move of 2017 in million dollar portfolio. But I'm going to give you a very good example of what I mean here. If you go two years back to their third quarter of 2015, uh, a lot of the thesis centered around this new instant booking platform they were building. They were trying to become more like Priceline, where you could go to TripAdvisor, read the reviews on the hotel, and then make that transaction on TripAdvisor as well. Three, uh, two years ago, the term instant booking was used 21 times in the call. It, it, it guided all of the discussions. Yesterday, two years later, it was used exactly once. And, and that's not in the good way, Chris. <laughs> that's because the strategy has failed. And, and so, uh, management simply hasn't had much to say because it's not something that's resulting in, in any kind of a material impact on the business. So, for me, initially, looking through and seeing that, I understand that, wait a minute, we invested in this because we thought they could become more like Priceline. Clearly, they are not. Um, then you have to kind of go back and reassess: Is there still a chance here for this business to to return some kind of value? But but generally speaking, I like to search for words and terms that pertain to the thesis that guided the investment in the first place. Control F, <laughs> isn't that just a great? You just hit you, you pull it up really the transcript, is. just hit Control F, and just, well, and that's that's one of the things I was thinking about, Abby, when you were talking about trends. Is just sort of you can go through a particular company's call and just see, okay. This this trend seems to be big in their industry. How much are they talking about it? How much are they being asked about it? All that sort of thing. Well, in some calls, and I mean, TripAdvisor is a little bit different in that when they release their earnings, they come out with like a press release, and then they have prepared remarks, which are essentially what they are going to say in the call anyway. So their call is really more analyst questions, and a lot of time those analyst questions are very self serving, pertain more to. You know, numbers they want to put into a particular box in their Excel spreadsheet. And they, the analyst questions aren't always so uh, terribly enlightening on calls. And in other companies, they don't do those um, sort of uh, pre released remarks. And so the calls can, can get a little bit more in depth, but um, you, you can note the difference there. Before we wrap up, again, a reminder no market foolery on Thursday, but it gives you a great excuse to check out our other podcasts, including Motley Fool Money Australia. 
which I think a lot of people in North America may not have even known exists. But that's the uh, that's the weekly show that Scott Phillips and Andrew Page do, and it's a great show. Uh, on the U.S. version of Motley Fool Money, Michael Lewis, best-selling author, the best nonfiction writer in America, stopped by Fool headquarters on Monday, and I got the chance to interview him in front of a live audience, and we're going to be playing that. Interview. I was about to say we're going to be playing that entire interview. No, we're not because the, sh- <laughs> yeah. the, the show doesn't go that long. The entire interview was was clocked in at just about an hour, uh, but we're going to be playing a lot of that on Motley Fool Money this week. Uh, Jason Moser, Abby Mallon, thanks so much for being here. Thanks. Thanks for having me. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.